It just looked like a shitload of jizz. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod. A very sniffly, sinus-bothered Doctor Who pod today. Dan and I are both getting our arses kicked by hay fever. And we've both just come online now to meet up to record the episode. And, you know, in a way, kind of felt some sort of real development in our friendship there, Dan. Because we're both suffering from the same thing at the same time, isn't it? Well, yeah, there's no, there's no suffering like mutual suffering. It strengthens the bonds that tie us, doesn't it? Um, but it yeah, we are both, uh, we are both sniffly focused today. So apologies for any, uh, any errant, unpleasant sounds that may slip through. But fuck it, we can't be asked rearranging it. So <laughs> that's the way. That's the way. I've never felt closer to you, my friend. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say, if you were here, I'd hug you, but probably not because we just end up like just snotting over each other's shoulders. How gross that would be. <laughs> Simultaneous oh. another band for the list, simultaneous shoulder snot. Yes, there we go. They open the festival. Yeah. <laughs> when when our when our uh, Doctor Who pod t shirts come out, people will understand these jokes that we make about the bands and so on a little bit more, I feel. If they've not followed along to all the episodes beforehand and don't get the sort of running corpse water heavy metal band joke then <laughs> yeah the, the merch when it comes out may open their eyes a little bit it's it's taken on a life of its own as uh, as, yeah. the, uh, as the band names and the whole the whole idea of a, of a <laughs> festival and all sorts <laughs> <laughs> but there we go mate there we go i've got a question to ask you dan anyway mate yeah are you happy i am happy i are am you? glad you're happy i'm happy that you're glad <laughs> and I can't wait and I can't wait to discuss this absolute madcap bullshit. This is I mean this was I don't know. <laughs> but we're looking at the Happiness Patrol, uh, a Sylvester McCoy story, Sylvester McCoy serial from November of 1988, a three-parter. Which I was a bit surprised by to be honest. I don't know why, but I always remembered it being four parts. So I'm, I'm assuming it was pleasantly surprised. Well no, I was I was just a bit like, <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, we'll get to that shortly anyway, but I mean, I almost wish it was four parts in some aspects and then no parts at all in others, but we'll get to that <laughs> shortly. <laughs> yeah, well, I had picked this because it was kind of, it was a very sort of last minute decision, but I picked it because I'd heard that it was weird and a bit mental and, and widely regarded as a bit crap. But then I also found a load of reviews, as I said last time, that were giving it um, you know, hailing it as a great satire and, and mm. stuff like that. So I was really intrigued just to uh, just to get into it, really. Yeah, and I, I think there is there is the obvious, I suppose, references they're trying to make with the the, the lady being the head politician at the time. Obviously, you know, eighty eight was you know was in the the time of Thatcher's Britain, I guess, and the writers and so on have actually stated that it was meant to sort of touch upon the general public's feelings towards Thatcher and so on with the character Helen A, who was the the main, 
I suppose, leader, I guess, on the planets that we're going to discuss shortly. I guess it was too on the nose to call him Maggie T. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but you, you do you do sort of get some sort of, I suppose, social commentary with it because, I mean, the one thing I really pick up on with this, and it will come more apparent as we sort of go through the episode and look at the, the different groups of people who are involved in the story, it's that whole aspect of this is kind of what you're you're supposed to be. In this case, happy is the whole gist of the episode and the whole gist of the the, the sort of leadership of the planets they're on. Those who are not sort of conforming, those who are the, who are not, I suppose, part of the norm, part of what you're expected to be, are effectively outcasts in a way. And I think that is quite a quite a good sort of commentary on on many social aspects. It is, yeah. And um, there's a lot to there's a, a real deep dive to be had about the treatment of people who don't conform to the norm, who, or, or who suffer mental health issues, or who just want to have a bad day, get through it, have a bit of a whinge, and just get over it. Mm. So there is there is a lot that can be dived into in that regard. There's, it could you could make a very sort of nuanced. And, and quite heavy topic out of this serial. I'm not going to be doing that because <laughs> there was far too much to laugh at. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. I can remember, obviously I've seen this before, and I think I can remember watching it from, from the 80s. I mean, 88, I would have been approaching eight years of age november 88 i would have been coming up to eight eight years of age so it would have been around the time i was watching the show as it aired and i can remember i can remember the funny little dog i can remember the the ladies with the pink hair Mm. but i can't really remember much else apart from one obvious uh character that i no doubt we're going to come to shortly but um (laughs) (laughs) it's it's the whole plot line and so on I think I was remembering a different Doctor Who story, maybe Paradise Towers or something like that from a similar right. sort of era. But they, there are some some bits that cross over, I guess. Some parts of this story and that story do kind of lend themselves to each other, I think. Yeah, and we hit a lot of beats that we've hit in previous episodes as well. We're back on, we're back on to uh, a fascist state, essentially. Mm. There's no quarry, though. There's no quarry, but we are back into a fascist state, and they're very colourful um, fascists. But it's still very much behave like this, or you will be that you'll be part of a routine disappearance. They're kind of like just bright pink Nazis in skirts, aren't they? You know. Yeah. That's yeah. That's kind of. I, I, sorry, I had about I had about seventeen inappropriate jokes trying to force the way out of my brain then. Um, so. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad all of them stayed in to be quite honest because none of them were any good I, I'm, I'm glad too if it saves me having to edit stuff out mate to be fair <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh, the thing is it, I'll, I'll just go right into it because from the very first bit the very mm-hmm. first sort of mini scene it was already cheesy, overacted weirdness, and the set looked a bit shit. And I kind of, I kind of loved it right away, right? Because there's a bloke walking around in a in a trench coat and hat. 
there's it's talking to a woman sat on a bench who's just looking a bit miserable. You know, saying that she doesn't have to suffer alone. There's a secret place they can go to indulge, or as they call it, indulge their depressions, mm. which is a is a really loaded sentence in itself, as if depression is something is a luxury. Mm. When it when we both know, and a lot of people listening will know that it really fucking isn't. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, they, they set out the name pretty quickly. Anybody who's who's even a little bit mopey gets labelled a killjoy. But he says, you know, um, it'll you know it'll change your life. It changed his life. Gives her his card. He's called Silas P. He says, no, 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 the other side. It turns out he's undercover, and then. <laughs> A squad of women with a bright pink and purple hair appear with enormous dildo guns and executor because you can't spell happiness without penis. <laughs> oh dear. Enormous dildo guns. <laughs> yes, brilliant stuff. You you don't get that kind of description about Doctor Who on the BBC documentaries, do you? You know <laughs> They've never invited me on for some reason. I don't get it, mate. I don't get it. We should email them. Um this opening scene, to be honest, yeah, okay, it was a bit hammy, it was a bit, it was a bit you know, over the top with some of the acting and so on. But looking back now in hindsight, having just watched all three parts of the series, that first scene I think was really well done because it was quite atmospheric with the, the gloomy streets. And that's something else I want to come to in a moment, to be honest. But the sort of gloomy-ish looking streets and this woman moping about and this guy with his business card and, and oh yeah, she gets arrested and so on. Because straight away, the, the scene is set straight away. Everything is, we know exactly where we stand right off the bat within the first two minutes of the show. And then mm-hmm. the doctor and Ace arrive. And it, to me, that, that was a really fast setup to where we're going, but one that kind of didn't lose much. It, it very much went, I suppose it did what it needed to do as an introduction. It let us know what, what, what we were facing, I guess. Yeah. Here's, here's roughly who the bad guys are. Here's why the here's why the bad guys is the doctor and ace job done, and yeah, it was effective. It was like I say, it it was as I said before, cheesy, overacted, weirdness, and the set looked a bit shit, but it worked. Mm. It really did, and I just love the and it, but the the tone of it just takes complete one eighty. As soon as the doctor and ace walk out and they're talking about dinosaurs and mentioning the brigadier meeting a T Rex in the London Underground, which I don't know if that ever happened in an actual episode or. Yeah, was... I mean, dinosaurs popped up in London quite a bit, didn't they, in, in, in the old classic Who? There was a John Pertwee story where dinosaurs were in it, and I'm fairly certain there was a Tom Baker one as well. So it might be either of those. It was the first Capaldi one as well. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> Victorian London, yeah. Um, but then, you know, the, the clock in the uh, the loudspeakers playing playing lift music, and, uh, you know, they're on one of Earth's colonies, uh, Terra Alpha. And then they're, but they're specifically there because the doctor has heard about shit going down, basically. Mm. Yeah, which again, again, effective. Mm-hmm. So we're establishing again that everything's a bit weird. They know they even say it's too phony, too happy, which would actually would absolutely piss me off. <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. To be fair, and it is that fakeness. <laughs> I think that is the main issue uh, with with the whole the whole sort of mission statement, I suppose, of the Happiness Patrol and Helen A and and what they are trying to achieve with forcing people to be happy. It is that that phony fakeness, and 
the doctor puts it really well later on in an episode that really explains the gist of what we're, we're sort of up against in these early episodes in that to be genuinely happy, you need to have sadness as the comparison. So whereas nobody yeah. wants to be sad, you don't actually get the genuine happiness without the comparison of the genuine sadness. So this phony happiness isn't really happy at all, even though Helen A is trying to push this upon her people. Yeah, it's it's, it's superficial, I think, is the yes. word that is, that's used later on. And we sort of see that as well, um, just a little bit further on, when uh, a bunch of the happiness patrol turn up and start painting the TARDIS pink. Because well, this is what I was going to come to as well. When I said about the streets being a bit gloomy and so on, they, they're they offended by the TARDIS being a, a drab colour. And they mention about other people wearing drab colours or, or dark colours or whatever, and that's not allowed. So they literally turn up, as you said, Dan, and paint the TARDIS pink. Because in their mind, that's a, a happier, brighter, nicer colour, hence why they're all wearing these crazy pink wigs and pink dresses and all sorts. The rest of the street is gloomy as shit. So why is the TARDIS <laughs> bothering them? You know, don't go yeah. the whole visual of the TARDIS being painted bright pink. I loved. I got a kick out of that. But why is the TARDIS bothering them? And then they're just leaving the rest of the street to look like crap. Maybe it's because it's at night and in the light of day that they've got like bioluminescent paint that will just reflect all the sunlight and be brighter colours. Oh, fuck off, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you can't, you keep asking me to pull this bullshit out of my ass. I'm going to keep pulling it out of my ass. Fair enough, thank you. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> well, um, actually, ju- uh, just before that, we see a um, we see a familiar face, somebody that, that we've actually seen on the show before, because okay. the, uh, the Doctor and Ace come across uh, Trevor Sigma, who's there to do a census or whatever he's there for, um, and he is an actor called John Normington, who played Morgus in the Caves of Androzani. Oh, that we covered ah. in the first season. And he would also go on to be in an episode of Torchwood uh, called Ghost Machine, where he played a character called Tom Flanagan, who was a former refugee uh, refugee kid. Okay, that's pretty cool. So there you go, little tie-ins. There's a few pretty famous faces in this story as well, isn't there, to be fair? Sheila Hancock, for one. You know, been I don't an know actress. Her name. All over, she's been in so much stuff, mate. She's, I mean, she's she's ninety nine, pushing ninety nine. She's still alive, you know. She's still going. Fair play to her. But um, yeah, she was married to the guy who played Morse, and she was she's been in so much stuff. Uh, Sister Act, I think she had a part in the um, the original Annie film. Uh, loads of stuff, mate. Lo- television, theater, TV, loads and loads and loads of stuff. She was in. She played Helen A. Yeah, I'm just looking at her now. Like I said, I know the name Sheila Hancock. Um, I just can't, I'm just doing a cursory glance now and I can't see anything that I'd have seen her in, but she's been on TV since since 1960, so. Mm. Oh, God, yeah, she's been in, I mean, Boy in the Striped Pajamas was a big hit. I, I've never seen it, but it was a big hit. Um, yeah, so, yeah, she's been around long enough that I should have clocked who she is, really. <laughs> The lady also who plays Daisy Kay. All right. Now, she she's an actress called, named Georgina Hale. Hmm. I recognize her. I keep looking at her thinking I know exactly where I know you from. But then I've gone online and I've gone back through her her sort of acting career and so on. And I don't actually know where I know her from. But she's, <laughs> she just looks so familiar to me and I don't know where from. No, she didn't um, didn't spring out to me, to be honest. Wait, I, I have actually seen her in something. 
She, oh, was, okay. in twi- she was in 2011's Cockneys versus Zombies. I've not seen that. It's but a it film about, it's amazing. It's a film about it's a it's a film about a group of pensioners uh, fighting their way through a zombie apocalypse in London. And they're being led, but they're being led by uh, Alan Ford, who played uh, Bricktop in uh, uh, was it Lockstock or Snatch? Which one was Bricktop in? Oh, he was in Lockstock, wasn't he? I think. Yeah, you know, with the old, do you know what Nemesis means? Right. <laughs> <laughs> that old speech. And who was the other lady? She was in Emmerdale. What was her name? Uh, Leslie Dunlop, who played Bastard. Susan Q. Uh, she's been on Emmerdale since about two thousand and eight. Um, she was the uh, she was one of the nurses in uh, in the Elephant Man. Um, I think which I think was in the seventies. And then she also played Nona in Frontios, which was a nineteen eighty four uh, Peter Davidson serial. Yeah, okay, I'll have to go back and have a watch of that one because I don't remember her being in that. I think I've seen that. I must have seen that. Uh, she was in May to December as well, that old sitcom that used to come on the telly when it was almost like it was time my, my parents would choose what station was on and I'd just have to watch whatever was on because we only had four channels. And those were one of the sitcoms that would be on and it was crap. Before my time, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where I get, this is where I get a second fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember there only being four channels or is it five for you? Uh, five for me. Yeah, okay. I remember being so excited when the fifth channel came out. Everyone was going mental. Like, oh, we've got a fifth TV channel. And it was bollocks. It was just... <laughs> <laughs> no, nobody could pick it up properly. The reception was awful. And it, it was just not very good, mate. Not very good. God bless you. And, and, <laughs> and Channel 5 still at that level today. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. There we go. Anyway. <laughs> no, I'm finished slagging off Channel 5. Um, <laughs> I suppose we had better... Comment on the the character and the image that most people will remember from this story, and that is the Candyman, old Bertie Bassett. There. Do you know what? Do you know what? I'm good. I th- we need to save that for a little bit because we're, we're quite a way off Candyman. Okay, just yet, because they've or they've said something before this that is absolutely terrifying, and that's the slogan of Terror Alpha. Happiness will prevail. Mm. That is pretty grim. This was after the Doctor and Ace had been arrested. Um, Happiness will prevail. It was like, what the fuck? That just screams dystopia. Yeah. And that's when we don't know who Helena is. We just know, obviously, we know from her position that she's the leader. But you've just got this woman on screen with the mad hair, the you know, the sort of really pale makeup staring intensely into the camera saying, you will be essentially saying you will be happy Mm. or else. Yes. And we've seen a, we've seen a bloke in a, they've been taken to this area and there's a bloke playing a slot machine. And it's the same. It's not, it's not a prison. It's a waiting area. But if you cross that line, then you're going to get a shot. He references the candy man. And I believe here is where we first hear the term killjoy as well. Uh, no, we had Killjoy in the uh, in the opening. Uh, oh, of course. Opening. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. he refers to himself um, as a Killjoy, though, doesn't he? Yeah, because he. But yeah. he, it turns out he was the uh, he was the joke writer. Because the prize you get when you win this slot machine is a joke from uh, from the leader, Helen A. Um, so, did you hear about the Killjoy won an outing with the Happiness Patrol? He was tickled to death and then canned laughter. And you get a great line from the doctors. Like, it's awful. It's tasteless, smug, and worst of all, it's badly constructed. Who writes this stuff? And the bloke in there says, I did. Brilliant. <laughs> when, I was, 
when I was Harold F, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But yeah, the uh, this same bloke later in the conversation, um, he tells us that you can get executed for wearing dark clothing. Uh, the leader calls it public grief. Yeah. Um, you can be executed for listening to slow music, reading po- poetry, unless the limericks. Uh, walking in the rain if you're on your own and don't take an umbrella. And yeah, I know. It's just, but, uh, but people don't stand up, don't stand up to it out of fear. Mm. And this is when we get the first mention of the Candyman, and the doctor, the doctor's initial reaction is brilliant because he says, "Have you heard of the Candyman?" He says, "Well, he sounds a sweetie." <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's with reference to uh, the three main ways people can be. I suppose go missing, I suppose is, is the term they use quite a bit throughout the serial, isn't it? And one yeah. of them is a visit to the candy kitchen, which again, just sounds like a, a kid's, you know, fairground or something. <laughs> it's, it sounds like a section of an amusement park. Yeah. Doesn't it? Yeah. It's, but it's that it's a late show, a, 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 appearing on the late show at the forum and something else unknown. And apparently Helen A. favors a firing squad. Mm. And, we actually see an execution starting uh, because somebody has been accused of an ostentatious display of public grief. So you're not allowed to grieve in public. No. Which, again, is terrifying. And there does seem to be a firing squad in position, but then Helen presses a button to lower a tube over the guy, and then we see this light start blinking, and then we see meth head Bertie Bassett. <laughs> in- we see a creature that looks like a Cyberman fucked a bag of all sorts. Oh, my God. It's, it's nightmare fuel, but it's also completely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. He's got a giant, you know, like the bobbly licorice all sorts. Yeah, like the jelly bit a, in the middle. Yeah, he's got a giant blue one of them for a head. He's got like, he looks to have like squishy feet. And marshmallows, isn't they? Must be, yeah. His feet are big marshmallows. I got a kick out of that. I, I like that. But also, on the other side of the coin, it did make me kind of want to go get some marshmallows. Did you? No. I didn't have time, Mark, to come on here and record with you. I mean, it, it's a perfectly acceptable like reason to delay recording. Can't, can't record on time, off to get marshmallows. It's, you know, it's better, than, <laughs> better, than, better, than, better than delaying recording for an emergency shit like some of us have had to. <laughs> watch, watch Doctor Who, saw an alien's feet, now want marshmallows, is the message I should just send you. <laughs> I'd go along with it, it'd be fine. Fair enough, mate. I'll remember yeah. that for next time. <laughs> but yeah, it's, I mean, this fucking thing, if I'd have seen this as a kid, I don't know if I'd have laughed or had nightmares or both. Yeah, it's really, it's a real sort of, really odd one that you don't know quite if i showed it to my kids now obviously my kids are a touch older charlie's being the youngest yeah. at 12 she would find that very funny yeah but if I, I think back to charlie being maybe six she might find that scary and if you, you know if you were a young kid in the 80s mm. then i imagine this was quite creepy but it's his voice as well oh god his voice it sounds it's it's, of, it's it sounds like Pinky and Perky speaking into a fan. Yeah, it's kind of high pitched and almost kids TV character esque, but then it's got an almost I don't know like an evil grating to it as well. And I suppose it's like the Candyman character himself, the, the appearance of the Candyman character. Mm. 
as we just said, on one side of the coin, it looks a bit silly and a bit crap, and you can always laugh at it. On the other side mm. of the coin, it's like, yeah, but is it actually a bit scary too? It, the voice, I think, falls exactly into the same sort of category. And it's when you see his, his eyes are like peppermint sweets and they've got swirls on them and they actually spin yeah. around in his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. It was... <laughs> I was alternating between laughing uncontrollably at it and thinking, actually, it's a bit weird. You're right. It it, it, it treads. It certainly treads a line, but I think it, it doesn't so much tread the line as stagger from one side to the other, and that's because he can't yeah. see because the costume's ridiculous and his feet are marshmallows. <laughs> the thing as well with the Candyman, and this is I say I say the thing as well. This is to me the big thing with the Candyman. Okay, all that aside, it, it, whether it looks scary to little ones or it's just fucking funny to us, whether it sounds scary, sounds funny whatever okay why is the question i have to ask just why why is that the whole the whole um i suppose the whole story of the happiness patrol and the government forcing people to be happy and executing those that are not i can fully get behind a story like that the candy man I appreciate that the Candyman makes sweets for them and that makes them happy and all the little tie-ins that they do make to the Candyman being involved in the story, but he doesn't need to be there. They could have just any, they could have anything there. They could just have a, um, a, a big machine that chews people up. They could anything at all. So why did they settle upon a Bertie Bassett on meth? As you so wonderfully put it, why is why <laughs> just, just fucking Why? <laughs> I've I don't justif- understand. I have, I have justified a lot of bullshit on this show. I can't justify the existence of the Candyman because he's at the start of it. This in this first part of the serial, he everything about him is said to be he's vicious, he's evil, he's you know thinking of all these ways to kill people. And even when he's got the doctor there, he's saying about how he makes sweets that are so delicious, human physiology can't handle it. So basically, he makes people deliciousgasm to death. <laughs> yeah. Which in itself is pretty creepy, because, you know, the last thing you want is to eat something and then come and go at the same time. <laughs> um, <laughs> um but ultimately, he ends up being a bit fucking useless. He's pretty rubbish, so isn't he? That I, the, I don't think they committed to the character. I think there was, I think there was going to be more Candyman originally, and they've sort of chopped and changed it and made him look a fool. It's like when you were saying there about whether you know whether you think it's scary for the little ones or you know think it's funny, think it's terrifying, whatever. At least it gets a reaction which mm. so often we do on this show, we'll go back to wrestling. If you go back to wrestling, the only bad reaction is no reaction. Yeah. At least this becomes a talking point and, and gets people to mention it and remember it. But it's very much as if they were bringing in a, a, a big new villain and then end up just making him into a comedy act. It's a bit like, um, this, would be, <laughs> this would be a reference for one man's meeting, especially if people don't watch wrestling. Uh, Lord Tensai. Yes, okay. Brought in as next big monster heel, next big villain to feud with the big hero, John Cena. And within six months, he was shaking his ass, dancing with Tyrus. Mm-hmm. Or Brodus Clay, sorry. 
Yeah. That's what feels like happened with um, with Candyman in the process of putting this episode together. See, that is something I sort of touched upon early on with regards to it, this being a three-parter. Yeah. Now, you say that maybe there was more Candyman originally that we didn't see. I get the impression that there may have been the case with a lot of different aspects here because yeah. a lot of this seems uh, I mean, almost rushed and a lot of it seems like we're, I wouldn't say we're missing parts specifically, but things don't, they almost happen too quickly. For example, the, the guard, uh, Susan Q who ends up being Pally with Ace in, in the story. Mm. They act like they're best friends. And they've known each other forever, but in what we see, they've effectively had one scene, or they've had ten minutes. So yeah. it seems like they were incredibly over familiar of each other for what we saw on television. The doctor and the harmonica pl- harmonica playing fella, his name Earl. escapes me, Earl. Okay, uh, he th- they act like they've known each other for years again, but what kind of happens? in the build-up to these moments where they seem incredibly close, doesn't justify the closeness that they're putting out there. More so with Susan Q and Ace, I think. But yeah. there's a bit of it with that as well. And it's kind of the same with the Candyman. For someone who was built up to be this scary, horrific, big monster baddie, we don't really see masses of that. We just see the guy bumbling around, banging into things, almost like Mr. Blobby would be in years later. That's the kind of vibe I got. The Candyman's like, <laughs> the Candyman's like a licorice Mr. Blobby. You like, know? And, like if Mr. Blobby was made by an evil Willy Wonka. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that's the kind of feeling I get, and that's why I said maybe, maybe don't bother making this, or make it four parts, so you can flesh out those relationships a little bit more. Something that I thought was done really, really well in the dalek invasion of earth that we watched back in our first season was there were moments where that story was a bit slow because it was over mm. several episodes and there were moments where not a lot of action was happening however later on in the story the closeness of the doctor and his companions to the people that they had met made sense because they had shared yes. that amount of time together yeah now, exactly. so th- it built the friendships in front of us to make us care about those characters and those friendships in this story it's almost like Ace goes, oh, hi, Susan. You're my new best friend, like a three-year-old at fucking playgroup or something. Oh, and I'll be your <laughs> new best friend. And then they hold hands and skip off into, you know, off to see the gunfire. Yeah, exactly, you know. And that's how it comes across to me. So I don't know whether we've lost some of the filming they did, because obviously a lot of filming takes place and the shows are always edited down, of course. So whether we've lost big scenes that build on that, or maybe they just weren't there in the first place. I don't know, Dan. At the very best, I think it's a bad editing job because mm. we have so much that gets glossed over, like the relationships you just mentioned. We've got the pipe, the people who live in the pipes, who are just called pipe people, but not until the final part of the episode. I got until the final episode and didn't have a clue that certain characters had names because they just weren't but used. Who Who had names that... Uh, well, I can't remember now. Um, like, <laughs> was uh, it Daisy, Daisy K? Right, okay. Did, didn't realise she had a name until partway through. Didn't get Helen A's name until near the end of the first episode, and she's the main villain. Yeah, that's true. You know, stuff like that. It was, it was, 
It was in a really bad way. It was like when I watched the first series, first few episodes of Game of Thrones, and I just could not get into my head who anybody was. But at least in that, they were actually using people's names. In this, there were just there was just nothing. Like uh, Helen, here, could uh, did you know what her husband's name was uh, before the second? Ep- you know, in the first episode or the second right. episode. I'll tell you what I did, but I did, and this is the way I did is going to back up your point. The characters that I didn't know the names of, I looked up because I genuinely needed to know their name, and it hadn't been put forward to me yet. For example, yeah. and I know I know you've already given me his name. I think it was Earl, but Harmonica guy. I didn't yeah. know his name. I had to look it up. I didn't know Helen A's chap's name, so I had to look jo- it up. Joseph C. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, Susan Q herself. I had to look up her name. I was call- I was calling her um, forum coach for a while. Right in my notes until until we finally got a name. That there was there was so much so much stuff like that that was glossed over. Oh, the uh, the two of the pipe people, uh, they had names. Did they? Yeah, the doctor used them in the final part. The doctor used them a couple of times, and they're escaping me now. Um, what were the names? They both began with W. One of them was Wences, and the other one was oh fucking hell, it's in here somewhere. Someone like Wigfrid or something like that. Okay. I missed that altogether. I literally just called them mole people. Oh, Wolfric. Wolfric and Wences. Okay. See, you even saying that to me now, i got no idea. Yeah. It was... But you you had stuff like that, and then you had stuff that was unnecessarily dragged out. Like, in the third part of this serial, we get a really long conversation between Joseph C. and Gilbert M., who's Candyman's sort of help, helper slash creator. Yeah, yeah. We have a real long conversation with them that I, I was writing down just in case anything important was said. And it, they were just having a very frank chat about death and and some of the horrific... And Oh, we're back onto genocide in this as well, spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> G- Gilbert had accidentally caused a genocide mm. and that's just sort of glossed over by Joseph Seymour. Well, it's hardly our fault, was it? I have yeah, got on. a bit of a theory on that. And that's that I think the guy who is with Helen A. Hmm. What's his name again? Joseph, is it? Yeah, Joseph C. Joseph, right. I think he's gay. Okay. And, and I think he is suppressed by Helen A, but can't come out as gay because then it you know it would cause misery and hence happiness patrol will go against that and, and all this sort of stuff and i think mm. that spoiler alert i suppose towards the very end i think that this conversation here is those two relating on some level and i see the very end of the series as them running off together that's how That'd i be... see that, that's how i took that now i don't know if that was the intention when they that, wrote it <laughs> that that would be a very nice ending to two people who have either passively participated or actively participated in some absolutely horrific events. <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, you can't have who you fall in love with. Do you know what I mean? Even Hitler had a missus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've never felt more single in my life. Thanks very much, <laughs> I am I am less desirable than Hitler. Marvellous. <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. <laughs> 
I'd rather kiss you than Hitler, if that's any consolation. Well, I suppose so, but you know, he's been he's been dead for a long, old while at the minute. So you know, given uh, given that the choice is me or a, or a you know eighty odd year old corpse. Uh, no, dumbass. I meant if Hitler was alive. <laughs> and I was just fishing. I was just fishing for an extra compliment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> back to the original point. It's definitely a theory. Um, it, either way, when we'll get to it, I was very happy to uh, to see Helen get fucked over uh, oh, yeah. because for for all the wackiness and and the insanity and everything, Helen's actually a really good villain. Oh, totally. Um, and it's the character is played really well. <laughs> yeah, I think she's brilliant in this, and it's the. I mean, you say there, happiness will prevail. That, that mm. slogan that they use being really sort of dripping with like extra content and being like mm. really sinister, but also implying that, you know, happiness, you know, is coming and you will be happy, which in theory should be a positive thing, but the way it's delivered and just staring stone cold straight into the camera and that almost forced smile and then the, the crop of hair on and so on as well, the whole, the whole thing, the whole delivery of those mm. lines, I think make her just one of the best. I'll go as far as say one of the best villains we've seen so far on our podcast. I think mm. she is that sinister and that evil. Okay. I, I wouldn't go one of the best, but she's certainly not one of the worst. Um, I mean, even it, down to like when she's talking to like her second in command and she looks at her at the corner of her eye, like, are you happy? Yeah. That's chilling. That's really, that, that is, that is evil because this person is like her loyal number two, but this person is basically her second in command. And she's even got that whole, the, the nasty streak and you know, the evil in her, the sort of one dimension sort of tunnel vision she has to what she's trying to do. Mm. This person is hook, line and sinker buying into what Helen A is doing. She is a loyal, loyal servant. And she, even then she just sort of a change of expression on her face. She looks at her at the corner of her eye and goes, are you happy? Just to get and confirmation. Because she'd have got her bumped off. And that's I think that adds to the, the, the whole evilness and the whole I keep coming back to the word, but it's just sinister, isn't it? It's official uh, sorry, it's official. It's it's like a it's like a playbook on how to be a tyrant. Yeah. And how to be a dictator. Nobody's safe, not even those closest to you. Um and to be honest, you you're kind of talking me around now. She is she's that good. Mm. It's just the whole thing's so ridiculous, but yeah, it's, it's a bit like, funny enough, another Sylvester McCoy episode we covered with uh, with survival. The highlight in that was the master. The highlight um, the, in this is the performance of was it Sheila Hancock? You said, yeah, as uh, as Helen A. Yeah, she's she's fantastic. I just wish we knew her, her name before halfway through. Yeah, because <laughs> I think we're kind of doing what we did with um, uh, with the. Oh, what was the serial we covered for uh, for Colin Baker in the first season? Two of the Sidemen. No, Revenge of the Sidemen. Attack of the Sidemen, even. Yeah, something with Sidemen. Yeah. It was um, it was Attack of the Sidemen, yeah. Yeah. Um, it has some of the same problems as, as that did, in that it skips around quite a lot. There's a lot going on. People are here, then they're there, then they're here, then they're there. Who's the hell's that? Who's this? Who the fuck are you? It's, it's all a bit muddled. Hmm. But this is easier to follow than that was, if you see what I mean. It's yeah. got it's it's got a few of those same problems, and, and like we say, the the editing, the way they put it together, and the bits they've cut down and the bits they've left in, sort of with lengthier explanations, just doesn't just doesn't quite sync up. Mm. 
But so we've ended up just sort of bouncing around the story, really, which to be honest won't make it make any less sense. <laughs> no, to be honest, I, I, I like the way we cover episodes together, where we go through the story in in order. But I also enjoy it when we have a when we have a topic like this that is a bit more jumbled, where we do kind of just give our general thoughts for the duration of the show. And whilst we're doing that, then I suppose let's have a little look at Helena's pet, Fifi. They're referred to. She's referred to yeah. as. Now that's yeah. quite an interesting, uh, an interesting little thing. There, it's kind of like a a really aggressive, nasty little lap dog, but crossed with some sort of weird dinosaur thing. I'm not hundred percent sure how to describe it. What were your thoughts on first of all the idea of this being a, a big a big part of the plot, and then secondly the appearance and how it's aged of the of the the the, the Fifi itself, I guess. Fifi looked like if one of the creatures from Labyrinth got into the reactor at Chernobyl. Right. <laughs> I'll tell you what, creatures from Labyrinth, that is spot on. Yeah, well, it's that same style, sort of style of puppet. Doesn't look terrible, especially not for the time. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly not the highest budget of Doctor Who we've seen in any era. Let's just say that it's there's definitely worse things we've seen, but it is it's quite sort of grim looking, isn't it? I mean, in my in my notes, I initially said that it looked like some sort of demented mole rat Wolverine, right? Okay, it's got the long claws and the big teeth and the long yeah. snout, and it's got lots of teeth as well, hasn't it? With a, with a long snout, yeah. you're right. It's got so many teeth that you can see, and it, it's obviously an absolute murder machine that that Helen is somehow tamed. Mm. And and absolutely loves to bits, but I don't know. It was it was just weird that it was kept initially in a bird cage. Mm. It was a big white bird cage. Yeah, and she was like feeding it through a little door, and then she's got it in a lap, and then she's just chucking it in the sewer to go f- eat shit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I, don't know, I think it's called the, the doctor calls it. Um, it's a stigarax. Yeah, um, but it's sort of. It's another one of those things that we see it and it's all right. You're like, yeah, look quite vicious, but because of the limit, the limitations of the time, we never get to see Fifi in action, mm. and it, it loses a little bit. They didn't quite build the the suspense for it because there is ways to do it without seeing too much going on. There's a way to have, an, you know, you can see something on a screen. You have the noise, or you know, see, see in the shadows, and you know, see the you know clothing being shredded, and maybe not blood, you know, from this era, but you know, you see a body, something like that, and it just suffers a bit for that. It's a bit like Candyman; promises a lot, but ultimately, fuck all. Yeah, yeah. I think with Fifi, the longer we see her for, or it for, or whatever, the longer we see that in, that, that thing on screen almost the worse it becomes when it's in the cage. And then when it's on Helen A's lap, I'm thinking, okay, this is obviously 1988. They're doing the best they can. As we say quite often on the show, that don't look too bad. Hmm. But then when we see, when we see Fifi scurrying around the pipes and when we see Fifi trying to attack people, and then ultimately at the end, when we see Fifi kind of meet her end, I guess, it's almost like each scene with Fifi makes the model look more shit. 
Yeah, because you, you're picking up on more aspects of it, and and you, you're subconsciously picking up on the flaws and and all the rest of it, and it, it's exactly the same as Candyman. Mm. Like I was watching it, like every time I saw the Candyman, I had a giggle. But then after he'd got, um, after it, I think it was after the second time he'd got stuck to the floor, he um, the doctor comes back in, and then I clocked his chest piece, which meant to be like some sort of like boiled sweet. But then I'm sure it was meant to be like some form of icing all over him. But it it, it just looked like he'd been cummed on. A lot. Yeah, yeah, I had that exact same vibe, mate. <laughs> it just it just looked like a shitload of jizz. Mm-hmm. Yes, it did. Uh, with regards to the Candyman, though, I suppose as we were back on to to him again, the kitchen, the candy kitchen. I thought that looked alright. Yeah. Yeah, it did. He's got his, um, you know, he's got his like creepy restraints for his victims, and he's got you know all the hobs going and ovens and and sciencey equipment and levers that he pulls so that he can pipes everywhere. Kill with, yeah, kill people with fun. I thought they did a really good job on that shit, uh, on that shit, on that set. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that got me was when the doctor was actually in there, the Candyman right away was it was very easily distracted. Yeah. Because they just start having a chat because the doctor's taking an interest in in execution, and he's like, "This is just weird." Mm. And then he's the doctor just he keeps trying to engage him in a conversation. He says, "Oh, man, after my own soft centre," and he, he brings it back and he says, "What?" He asked the doctor asks the Candyman what he's made of, uh, and he says, "It's difficult to say. It's all in there somewhere." Caramel, sherbet, toffee, marzipan, gelling agents. It's all in motion, and I have therefore dubbed that wee woo sweet boop. <laughs> nice, we will sweet boop. But it's it, one thing I do like about it is that you never get a full explanation of what the Candyman was. Mm-hmm. We we see later on after he's uh, spoiler alert, Candyman gets um, uh, gets killed off because he gets caught in his own fondant trap or, or whatever yeah. you know the redirect it, and you get Gilbert talking about who, who was his creator, saying he was. You know, he'd um, he'd brought the uh, he'd brought the Candyman's bones with him when he'd been exiled, and had, had sort of created him in the candy kitchen. And that was you never you never got any more than that. Yeah, like, and, again, we come back to why? Why did he do that? Yeah, so you know, and Joseph asks Gilbert, "Can't you just pack him up and start again?" So no, not this time. He's better off this way. The Candyman's gone. But then he, he references that the candy he made the Candyman's body. Mm. but his mind was very much his own. So did he make a candy body and stick a human brain in it? I don't know. I mean, that's fucking terrifying. Yeah, that is more scary than what we actually saw on telly, I think. Yeah, but it brings me back to, I love a show called Doom Patrol. And one of the characters in that is is called Robot Man. And he's literally, it's a, a race car driver from the 80s who's played by Brendan Fraser. And his brain, he gets in a massive crash, but they save his brain and put it in an all-robot body. Okay. Which sounds ridiculous on the surface of it. But a large part of the show is him struggling to come to terms with the fact that he's a brain in a jar, essentially. He can't feel, he can't taste, he can't smell. He, he can see, but it's it's all, you know, all digital. It's just cameras and whatnot plugged into a brain. Then it's him coming to terms with the psycholo- psychological aspect of that. So imagine that 
but you look like a bag of fucked up all sorts. Yeah, I get that. But at the same time... <laughs> no, no, no wonder Candyman was insane. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, I know where you're coming from. But at the same time, the way he talks about it with the Doctor, he's just like, yeah, it's caramel, it's this, it's all in there somewhere. You know, it's not like he's tormented or anything, is it? It's not like you'd expect him to be like a... You're struggling with his own existence or anything it's, like that. I, I think he's kind of gone beyond that to a point and has just sort of decided to embrace evil as a distraction. Okay. Uh, but again, it goes back to the problem. We say that, but then he's actually he's quite clearly up for a chat with the doctor because every I mean, time anyway, anyway. every time anybody says anything to him, he's quite happy to engage in the conversation. Later on, he's going after Ace, who oh, when they climb back into the kitchen, and the doctor introduces Ace as an expert in calorification, incineration, carbonization, and inflammation. And the uh, and Candyman <laughs> looks up and says, "Beg pardon." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here to look at your oven yeah and and, but then he's but then Candyman's saying you know, if she's you know, impolite guests will feel the back of my candy hand which is a really weird threat um, <laughs> and both the doctor and Ace call him a pimple head which I was really hoping they'd say pimple dick just to, yes. for the chain for the chain <laughs> wrestling connection um, but they just keep distra- he's just very easily distracted he's just a, he's a really shit indecisive sugary murderer yeah Totally. We get a couple of good lines when the doctors say no. That uh, they leave a, a massive screwdriver in uh, in one of the flames on the hob. It says that'll go through you like a knife through butterscotch and stuff yeah. like that. So it's like it was there was there was potential in the Candyman, but they got nowhere near fulfilling it. I think that, that that's a way of summarising the whole this whole story. To be honest, there's potential, but it just didn't fulfil it. But they did make it unintentionally hilarious. There is that. I mean, one bit that really made me laugh involves the candy man again, to be fair, when he gets a phone call. Helen A, is it Helen A rings <laughs> thanks? Yeah. And, and he's, he's this sinister, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put you in fondant, and oh my goodness, you're going to die. Hello, candy man. You know, when he answers the phone, he's like... <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Helen, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've got some really good new stuff for murdering. Yeah. <laughs> Are you happy? <laughs> happy? I'm fucking ecstatic. <laughs> I've made bonbons that can be used as bullets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I've, I've got a peppermint twist that'll make your anus prolapse. <laughs> 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 oh, she's uh, again. We can come back to Helen. I suppose you talking. You're talking about stuff like that, making the sweets and so on. She sits there at one stage watching uh, a video, and maybe it's the beginning of an execution or, or something. And she's got sweets in front of her, and again, yeah. it's just the whole pure evilness of her. She's just full of delight with what she's watching and she she's popping a sweet in her mouth and starts chewing away at it and the glee in her eyes mm. about eating these these treats whilst watching someone be sent to their death it's just oh she's vile mate it's 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 like a it's like a, a sugar it's like a sugary version of uh, varos almost yeah really yeah. but we but the thing is it goes so much deeper as well because we get the um, the procession of of people protesting the, and they're the factory workers who they, mm. call, who they call drones. And rather than have them protest, they're just going to make them disappear. Yeah. They're just, just going to get rid of a mass execution, which 
I think is where it comes to uh, a lot of social, where a lot of the social commentary on Thatcher's Britain comes into play. Um, yeah, but I couldn't help thinking about the um, uh, the, the strikes going on at the minute with uh, with transport workers, right? You know, wanting you know wanting better pay and and, and all of that, and fair play, to, you know. Fair play to them, really. It's, you know, mm. you've got to do what you've got to do, and you know, times are out everywhere. People are going to start striking to try and get to try and get a, live, a livable wage. Well, this is it, and and the strikes that we're seeing here in in the eighty eight episode of Doctor Who, it is from what I read anyway. I don't know how reliable these sources are, but from mm. what I read, they are um, heavily based upon the minor strikes of the eighties during yeah. Thatcher's Britain. That's the sort of symbolism they're trying to sort of uh, copy across, I guess. And the doctor almost rallying the troops at times and trying to unite different groups of people. You know, there's there's like the, the mole people and the, the people protesting. And so on, trying to unite them all together to overthrow this kind of evil dictatorship, the evil yeah. licorice fascist, I suppose, the form of a better phrase. It is a uh... licorice fascist. <laughs> that, <laughs> That's 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 you know again it's all it, it was all hinted at it's all hinting towards sorry the eighties minor strikes mm. and the people who were running the strikes and and trying to unite everyone from the different mining areas and so on. Uh, the the way we mentioned earlier about like the Candyman getting stuck to the floor, the yes. way that happened. <laughs> oh. The Doctor sprays lemonade. I no, the first time. I mean, the second yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah, the first time he gets the Candyman to turn around vigorously and knock the lemonade over on himself. Oh God, yeah, I forgot about that. At least He's, the second time he sprays it at him. Yeah, and and that's the first moment I'm looking at, it and I'm thinking, yeah, this this licorice fella's a bit shit, isn't he? Yeah, just a little bit. Oh yeah, it was it was hysterical. But even then, the doctor, because that's when the doctor and Earl are in, are imprisoned. And he, mm-hmm. they just get out and bugger off. And as they go, as they're leaving, the doctor says sweet dreams to him. Yeah. Sylvester McCoy was a bugger for a one-liner. He was. He was. The um, it, This is the thing as well. It's almost like when we watched the Colin Baker stories previously with Perry. And I got a little bit agitated because Perry just kept getting captured. And it was like, come on. You know, the Candyman getting stuck again was a case of okay come on to me that, that that just comes across a little bit lazy it's like, obviously it's a tool that works and he's got the lemonade there so he sprays it on the marshmallow yeah. feet and sticks it but to me it's like can i just as as writers just think of something a little bit different do something different he's already been caught out with the lemonade trick him some other way be creative for crying out loud yeah at least try something like hot to melt the marshmallow or something like that yeah just something, rather than oh, got you the lemonade, lemonade again there, didn't I? Imagine, yeah, imagine, so. imagine, imagine if the doctor had, had had a flask of tea, and he just threw the tea at the you know the marshmallow feet to melt them and something like that. And I, I, I'm not a writer; I'm just some fucking fat idiot who likes to talk shit on the internet. Yeah, and I've, and I've just me come too. up with a, be- with a better, I've just come up with a better second way to get him stuck. Mm. It just seemed a bit, a bit lazy, a bit samey. I guess. Yeah. Oh, do you know what else pissed me off as well in this? Because um, you said about people getting captured, and it was when uh, when Ace was being taken for the uh, for the forum show. You know where she'd yeah. have to do after she's already escaped once and been recaptured. Mm, yeah. Oh, that Perry vibes for that. There, Perry vibes for that. 
it was a little bit Perry-esque, yeah. Mm. Um, the Doctor is stood there. He has looked straight at a photo, sorry, a poster, that says Ace Sigma, because anybody who's off from off-world is labelled Sigma yeah. on this planet. Ace Sigma is going to be in this evening's um, late show at the Forum, going to be auditioning for the Happiness Patrol. He then spends an inordinate amount of time talking to somebody local, trying to figure out if Ace is going to be in the show and when it's going to be. There's a poster right there that says tonight. Mm-hmm. And you just stood there fucking about. And that person as well tells him in five minutes. Yeah. Right. So to me, you're getting told, you know, this is, a, this is people are going to die when they do this, this, this show, this, this thing in the evening. Mm. You're getting told your, your friend is there and the show starts in five minutes. There's no urgency at all from the doctor to try and, if this was modern who you would have tenant or, or Eccleston running around the place to some dramatic music and so on. Tenant's tenant's uh, coat and his fancy suit would be flowing in the breeze behind him. Exactly. Here, the Doctor decides to go on a little bit of a wander and do a bit of busking. He starts playing the spoons alongside Earl, the harmonica man, with their hats on the floor, you know, having a bit of a busk, and then he's like, oh, I better go go and see if I can half ace then, I suppose. It's like... It just didn't make sense to me. No. The, the the thing about it is it all the all this bullshit that happens around actually the end of this is really clever yes and really well done but it takes a long time for it to fall into place even though it's only a three parter it feels like they're just wandering around and then all of a sudden oh bang there you go because we have we have a really everything's up to this point's been a bit silly mm-hmm. the dark moments have all come from Helen. So you know when Helen's on screen, shit's going to get sinister. Yes. That, that's all been telegraphed. Do you remember the scene with the snipers who were waiting yeah. to take out the strikers? And the doctor just goes up to him and he has this whole big speech to this guy who's got a high-powered rifle pointed at his chest saying about a life taking a life and you know how he can't do it because he's, you know, essentially because he's because he knows it's wrong and, and all the rest of it. And it's really intense, really well done by Celeste McCoy, I've got to say. But it just didn't fit at all, even though it was no. a really, really cool sort of badass moment for the Doctor. But it was just a strangely dark exchange in the middle of all this ridiculousness. Yeah, and the fact that snipers, I mean, that they do say about the, the ladies go on and, and they are in the Happiness Patrol, and obviously the leader is a lady, and the men are talking here. The snipers are two men, and they're talking about oh, the women get all the good guns, the women get all the good jobs, we're on sniper patrol again, you know. So I get where they're coming from and trying to explain the scenario with that with regards to the men doing the the, the less favourable positions with, with crappier guns and so on. Mm-hmm. But that seemed kind of out the blue as well. That seemed kind of not linked to anything else because we just we saw these two guys... And that was it. There was no other references to uh, male uh, males being in the Happiness Patrol on any level. There's no, no reference to men being involved in any form of military or police or anything like that. So again, it makes me think, was there more references and we had those cut out? Or is this just written in a real oddball way? I don't know, because it was such a random scene. I hope it was the first one. I hope it's just bad editing and that there is a version of this somewhere 
that makes more sense because that was just the thought. Well, let's have the, the most. The thought must have been, well, let's have snipers fire down at the at the, at the protesters, at the strikers. Yeah, the doctors somehow got to clear them out. What justification can we have for them for the snipers being hesitant? Well, they're downtrodden in society. But then it goes back to your point. But why? Mm-hmm. The, the, like you said, there is nothing else in this apart from the fact we see that uh, Joseph C is obviously like you, you sort of stereotypical henpecked husband to the nth degree. Because if he yeah. shows any sign of unhappiness, he'll be executed. <laughs> you know. So yeah, it was. Yeah, that's my point. Again, that's where I come back to my theory, and that I think maybe he's gay. Because he leaves to be happy with this person who he's kind of built this, uh, he has some common ground with in the fact that they're mm. both pretty evil bastards. And when they're escaping at the end, the pair of them on the shuttle, they both genuinely look quite happy to be just jaunting off together. You know, maybe I'm reading into things there that aren't there, but that's kind of just what I picked up. Yeah, it could be. Or they could just be happy to get off world finally. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. But either are. I don't mind either way. Um, I'm just, it's just like you say. The, I'm, I'm just not sure how I feel about about, how to, about two evil bastards finding happiness. Yeah, this is true. This is true. <laughs> uh, I, I, I suppose we better sort of come to the, uh, the the conclusion and wrap up how certain characters do sort of disappear or carry on with their lives. I guess, since we just spoke about those two, they're disappearing off into into space. We have. Uh, the Candyman finally meets his end after getting torched by Ace and the Doctor in the scene with the the, the big screwdriver that would cut him like a knife through butterscotch, as you mentioned, Dan. He yeah. ends up falling down a pipe, but quite comically, clumsily, clumsily down the pipe. Well, it's it's not that. It's, it, Ace uses the heat from one of the ovens as a flamethrower, and, and he the Candyman retreats down the pipe. Mm-hmm. But... As we find out earlier in the serial, the uh, the pipe people, the, the sort of mole-looking creatures down there, uh, who are just referred to as vermin um, in the episode, which is grim, um, they're sort of starving because their food source is effectively the, the, the sort of fondant and the sweet stuff that's normally pumped down those pipes, but it's being funneled for the executions. Okay. The pipe people are then directed by the doctor to go into the candy kitchen and divert the flow of the fondant to effectively kill Candyman. Yes. So they get their revenge on the Candyman, and that's how he ends up washing up in front of Joseph C. and, uh, and Gilbert. Mm. And they have that very weird sort of frank conversation about horrific events. Yeah, yeah. It's... I mean, when, when I say it, I want to say it out loud like that, it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that, that disposes of the Candyman. He's he's done and dusted there. Who was ultimately absolutely useless. He was indeed. Um, apparently, the doctor, the doctor who wanted to use the Candyman again potentially, but they had to promise the company Bassett's that they wouldn't because they had complaints made by Bassett's. <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, Bassett's complained because of the similarity to um, Bertie Bassett. Yeah, I can believe it because it was a blatant ripoff looking at it. It was. It was a blatant ripoff, yeah. Uh, we hear as well that the rebels have sort of started taking over some of the factories around that Helen A uses to control the 
the people, the population, and so on. The rebels consisting of, I suppose, uh, some mole people and the people who are dressed in black protesting that the Doctor led into a, a sort of uprising, I guess. Yeah. So Helen A. Want, Helen A wants to do a runner, doesn't she? She does, but it's this is where we were saying before about um, Helen using her influence over Daisy Kane and, and questioning her happiness and, and, and all the rest of it. Because... Helen saying, "Oh, it's only um, you know, it's only uh, it's only one factory," and then a few minutes later we come back and it's one hundred and twelve factories. Yeah, out of the thousand or so that you know that they've got, you know, it's like sugar refineries. Um, yeah, Helen, uh, Helen's wanting to do a runner. She's been caught packing a case again. Very typical dictator, you know, dictator thing, cowardly dictator thing to do. It's all going to shit. I'm going to run. Um, but she, this is also after she's put Fifi into the uh, into the pipes to deal with um, uh, to try and deal with the mole people. Mm. Um, so she's leaving a pet behind, you know. Which, yeah, which is a bit of a shitty thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Especially given the performance she puts on later on, mm. um, which we'll come to, I'm sure, in a minute. But yeah, she's trying to do a runner. But um, Joseph and Gilbert have beat her to it, and the, uh, the the shuttle's already gone, so she's stuck there. What a shame, eh, Helen, you absolute <laughs> swat. I liked the scene here, though, of she, she's got her bag, the shuttle's gone, and, and so on, and she's walking down one of those dingy streets, still with her hair all big and crazy and the white makeup on, yep. and we can hear the blues being played via the harmonica mm. as she is walking down that street knowing what she stood for and what her character was all about seeing that particular scene similar in a way i suppose to the way that the, the the story opened with a lady walking down a dark street and so on that was quite a clever little throwback i thought mm. it was and it was you know sort of the the contrast as you say with helen's outfit and hair and all that to the dingy streets makes it all the, you know makes it all the more impactful visually and then you get the then you get the exchange between the doctor and Helen. Basically, the doctor trying to get her to see how far gone she is, mm-hmm. and how bad this has gotten for everybody else. But she spends so much time defending herself here, saying she only wanted what was best for the population. And the doctors point out prisons, death squads, executions. She said, oh, "But they only came later. I told them to be happy, but they wouldn't listen, and I gave them every chance." It's like you just think that it, she can't hear her own insanity. No, that's right. You know, she's saying, saying they'd laugh sometimes, but they still cried and wept. And the doctor asked her, Well, don't you ever feel like weeping? And she says, Of course not, it's unnecessary. And those that persisted had to be punished. And it, and it was trying to say it was for the good of the majority, for those that wanted to be happy, who wanted to take the opportunities that she gave them. And the doctor calls her out and says, what, a bag of sweets, a few tawdry party games, bland, soulless music. You know, saying, do, do these things make you happy? Of course they don't. And it goes back to that thing, because they're cosmetic. Happiness is nothing unless it exists side by side with sadness. Yeah. It's like I've heard it said before, that without, without evil in the world, sort of good acts can't be fully appreciated. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's sort of one theory, and it's, it's it's exactly the same thing here. You know, without without evil, is there ever really any good? Without sadness, is there any real happiness? Yeah, and it can be argued that yes, there is, because in between good and evil, you've got neutral. 
and the good, st- you know, the real, the good stuff is still on the still on the good side of neutral. So it's not, you know, it's a bit of a flawed argument. But it, Sylvester McCoy's delivery at the end here was brilliant. It was fantastic. He had he had that intensity, but it was a softly spoken intensity. You could tell that he was somebody not to be fucked with, yeah. and obviously vastly intelligent and all the rest of it. And it was. I wouldn't be surprised if that laid the laid the groundwork for how certain things were delivered later on in you who as well. Okay. So I, thought, yeah. I thought it was a really good speech, but it had that that sort of quiet fury, if you like. Mm. Yeah, especially, no, I, I get that. especially especially in the face of a tyrant like this. Yes. And you mentioned there that Helen A says that you know she, weeping was a waste of time, she's never done it, and so on. Obviously, here we see the end of Fifi, don't we? Where the the channels collapsed. I was going to say before we get into that, we've got to get into the ridiculous way that Fifi dies. Yeah, because they set it out. It didn't pretty, look good, did it? It did not look good. They set out pretty early on that in this one particular pipe, there are they're crystallized. There's crystallized syrup over them that will collapse given a certain frequency and a certain volume of noise. That was about as well foreshadowed as the uh, as Haley's comet. Haley's comet the brings you. Yeah. <laughs> Haley's comet, bad shit. Um, <laughs> and it just so happens that the noise in question is about the same pitch and volume as Fifi's growl or howl mm. or whatever it was doing. And then it's the um, it's the polystyrene boulders from uh, from about twenty years ago that fall on top of it. Oh yeah. Yeah, so yeah. we've just we we get Helen saying effectively that she's going to bugger off. She's going to get off world on a on a chartered flight, you know, space flight, go somewhere where there's no sadness and people now to enjoy themselves and the strong and hold back tears. A place where people pull themselves together, which from a mental health point of view is a shitload to unpack. Yes, hundred percent, and quite because, scary as well. That that's kind of the mindset of an, of that individual. It makes me wonder what the hell's happened in her life to make her that way. Mm. To have that, because that there's there's stiff upper lip, and then there's that. Yeah, which is which is obviously psychotic. But then she's talking about control, and the doctor's trying to ask about compassion and love. And she says that she always thought love was overrated until she spots until she watches Fifi die, and then she starts crying. Mm. Mate, I'll be honest with you. Obviously, Fifi's a vile little toothy trolled fucking little warthog pig thing that's going around killing people. And Helen A is a vile piece of crap as well. But seeing this person crying, cuddling her pet because her pet had just died, I got I felt a bit sad with that. Yeah, a little bit. It's it's when you see someone tough or someone sort of hard someone who someone who has that kind of unbreakable front to see them then start crying is always quite powerful mm. i mean the, the one that in doctor who the one that always gets me and i've, I've mentioned it before uh, i think i've mentioned it in the last uh, the last episode we recorded is uh, i've certainly talked to somebody about it recently anyway was um is when wilfred and tenant uh sat together yep that whole exchange where they're both going but especially a man of Wilfred's age. Cause you never see that. Mm. 
really. You know, at least not in my life anyway. Cause, you know, I, I grew up in, you know, I grew, I grew up in, in the era when, you know, my dad would take me to the pub with him on a Sunday afternoon. And, but, you know, you just left, you know, playing dominoes and, and talking to yeah. people decades older than me. And, you know, and all the rest of us, I'm sure a lot of people were listening to this. But you'd never see any of those people emotional. They'd, they'd keep it, not necessarily bottle it up, but they, they would keep it private. Yes. It was, you know, it was never something that was discussed in that case, you know, in, especially not in, not, in the, not in a pub setting or anything like that. So, yeah, it's always something that hits home with me, you know, somebody of that, that generation or, you know, that era, however you want to word it. When they do finally, when they do finally break, it's it's moving. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm treading over old ground there. I honestly can't remember where we where we where I last spoke about it. No, uh, no, no, no on, problem I at all. On, I don't know if it's on our podcast or, or something different, but yeah, no problem, no problem. And the thing is, well, it's, it's it's somebody's pet passing away, which is just a sad scenario, no matter what. I guess. You know, yeah. we're supposed to have, we're supposed to be like, yeah, you fuckers getting your comeuppance, you're evil or whatever. But you know, I've got pets, and I'd be devastated if anything happened to one. Well, let me, my cat had to go to the vets this week because he was hit by a car, and it was horrific, and it was scary, and it's horrible. So maybe that's affecting how I feel when I watch this episode today. I don't know. No, oh, poor let me. Just needs to leave the bloody cars alone, mate. Just get out the sodden road, stupid ginger git. You know, <laughs> but as we established on Shed Wrestling recently, you are in a, you are in an abusive relationship with that cat. Oh yeah, <laughs> and it's him abusing you. Yeah, he is, mate. He, he only comes to me when he wants food, and he, that's it. He loves everyone else in the house. He hates me, but there we but go. You, but you feed him. <laughs> yeah, it is me that does that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also, like- fu- also, also, fuck Helen here. I was really happy that she got fucked over by by Joseph and Gilbert, um, and. I do have a bit of sympathy for a pet dying, but a pet was also a rabid murder machine. Yeah, this is true. This is true. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Uh, I like the very ending of this as well, because we get the standard kind of wrapping up characters going, oh, I'm going to stay and do this. I'm going to stay and do that. And whilst this is happening, Ace just starts painting over the last little bit of um, pink on the TARDIS, which I thought was quite cool. Yeah, I did like that. It was it was a nice little touch. Um I just want to quickly jump back and, and just say how we sort of got there because the doctor gets, um, gets Earl to redirect the, uh, the strikers into the forum square and the doctor's there and he's acting all sort of manically happy and laughing. He's got a microphone and all the rest oh, of it. Oh yes, you're right. And, you should have covered this. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we have to, because then, then all the strikers are there they throw off the you know the drab robes that were that were wearing as a mark of protest and start having a merry old time and, and having a laugh and having a party. And then the happiness patrol turn up and the doctors flip the script on them because they're trying to break up essentially break up the party and break up the happy people. So therefore they're now the killjoys, which sets effectively sets the happiness patrol against each other. And allows yeah. Ace and, and because Ace and Susan Susan Q are happy to see the doctor they're then let go. So the, the kind of the doctors effectively use their own logic against them and logic and laws to get his friends released and, and make sure nobody gets hurt apart from members, members of the happiness patrol hurting each other. Mm. Yeah. Very clever. I it thought, is. but, they but like I said, on themselves kind of thing, I guess in a way. Yeah. Because well, he dropped, he dropped sort of hints about what he was doing here and there, 
but then it came together at the end, which I always like. Because I'm thinking, how the hell is it? How the hell are they going to get out of this? Oh, okay, that's how that bit was really well thought through. And I know we've we've sort of bemoaned a lot of this not being thought through or not being seen through to fruition or you know just not been enough essentially. But that solution to the problem, I thought, was very well done. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, that's that's kind of it then, I guess, isn't it? That's kind of the whole scenario. The Doctor departs, and and that's the end of a. Uh, yeah, he's what uh, we've he's, got. he's toppled a fascist regime in a night. Um, Fair play, he's, <laughs> he's, yeah, he's uh, you know he's seen off a dictator. He's uh, he's made it a bloke made out of licorice all sorts. He's uh, he's rescued a, a race of subterranean people that look like the inbred offspring of Splinter from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh my God, that's exactly right. <laughs> that is spot on. I'm looking at them and in my head I'm thinking, oh, weird mole people. But what I was saying never quite fit what I saw on screen. That is absolutely on the money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, he's let the he's let the passive husband of a dictator escape, but I don't think Joseph is probably a threat on his own i think he was just too easily led but he's also let a uh let a, let a genocide an, an accidental committer of genocide piss off so that's uh it's not not quite fully um fully got it but but yeah fair play to him he sorted it all out is um it was just mad wasn't it it was just absolutely yeah. insane this was- i mean to summarize then i suppose to summarize the whole the whole thing you watch the three episodes You've seen the batshit craziness, more fascists running around. No quarry this time. There's no drilling either, which is... Mm. You know, how would you summarise this this story then? How would you summarise this three-part story from 1988, Dan? I compare this serial to the movie Sucker Punch, which, if you've ever seen it, and I know you probably haven't, I went to the cinema to see that film. I came out of it knowing I'd been entertained but I couldn't for the life of me tell you why. Because it was so many different stories that didn't seem to fit, and you had to really think about how they fit together. And this kind of hits, hits the same notes. Okay. It end, I think this entertained me for the wrong reasons. There were bits where I got, this, I got the social commentary aspect and where people would think it was some sort of elegant satire. Mm. But I also think that's been too generous. And then most of it I was just laughing at because it was shit. I mean, for fuck's sake, at one point in the waiting room, in the waiting area, uh, that's a prison, but not a prison, the doctor diffuses a bomb and then him and Ace escape on a go-kart that drives slower than they can walk. Yeah. Yeah. But that's funny. That's like, that just tickles the piss out of me. So I would not hesitate to show this to people who weren't fans of Doctor Who. But I would do it with the same caveat that I would show them something like Jason X. Watch it to laugh at it. Okay. If you can find a deeper meaning in it, fine. But this is... This is fun crap. Right. Yeah. Is the, is the most generous I can be about it. It's not something that I'll I'll rush back to in a hurry, I don't think. But I would happily watch it with other people to say, have you seen this bollocks? Yeah, no, I get you. Um, I did rush back and watch it. When yeah. I first 
box, my mindset was Sylvester McCoy, because that's what I watched when I was a kid. Obviously, I watched lots of other classic as well, but Sylvester McCoy was on TV when I was that age. And I could remember certain shows. Obviously, I remember the one with the Cybermen that gave me nightmares. <laughs> but I can remember certain shows, and the Happiness Patrol really stood out to me. Now, I don't know if that was because of what I saw on the television, or the fact that I rented the book from the local library and read that a few times as well. I'm not sure. But I went back and watched it quite quite urgently, thinking I've got to watch The Happiness Patrol. I remember, I remember that title from when I was a kid. I put it on, and when the Candyman appeared, I was like, what the hell am I watching? <laughs> I don't remember it being like this at all. Now, I'm the opposite. If I was to show somebody classic Who, uh, my wife would be a good example, I suppose. She watches New Who with me. Whenever New Doctor mm-hmm. Who comes on, she'll watch it with me. She's got no interest in classic Who. Just because it, it, to her, it's it's just not her cup of tea. Old school sci-fi, sci-fi that's 30 odd years old. That's not her thing. If I was to sit her down and watch a, an episode or a story of Classic Who, I would steer well clear of this one because all it would do would fuel her. It would just give her ammunition to mock me, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so I would steer clear of that. Now, that being said, I still sat and watched all three parts of this and thought, okay, I'm not miserable that I've watched that. There was things I enjoyed in it. It was a bit daft, a bit silly and so on, but there was also half decent moments for me as well. I just think that it's a case of, right, take the time to develop the characters and develop the relationships between the characters to make them mean something or don't bother at all. I feel what we've got here is a kind of halfway house between the two scenarios and it doesn't quite work on either basis. And I I think the biggest summary I can give is this story had so much potential, but it just didn't quite get there. That's yeah, that's hundred percent fair. Um, If I, if I'm taking off my sort of cynical, cynical hat. um, Yeah, that's it. We've said before, we've said it, each said it, there was so much that could have been made more of if, if they'd have had 25 more minutes mm-hmm. to just flesh out the relationships between certain characters to yeah. maybe take a bit more of a serious tone. But I honestly think that this was chopped and changed when when somebody looked at the Candyman and thought, that can't be a serious threat. It looks fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Do you know it was originally um, the, the people who wrote it and, ma- and made this this story originally wanted it filmed in black and white? Oh, okay. Because that's the it was the feeling was to make it a bit more darker, a bit more, you know, edging that way potentially. So maybe that is something that we've you know we've missed out on. Maybe aspects of the story didn't quite get in that would have lent it that way. What would have been cool? I don't know if they'd have had the capability to do it at this point. But if they'd have shot it in black and white, but only had flashes of certain colour. So say if you had the you know the the pink of the hair or the jackets of the Happiness Patrol mm. as like the only colour you see throughout the you know throughout the serial or maybe you know um, as the painting the TARDIS pink it goes from black and white to the pink of the TARDIS something like that yeah that, almost like if it was animated they could have done that and I believe um, I believe the last episode they wanted it to be animated as well. Hmm. I think I'd have to double check the black and white one I know is, is accurate, but I believe the last episode was discussed as being animated as well, as opposed to, right. you know, 
your life, the, but well, the thing is, the thing is with, with the black and white with the flashes of colour, they did that for I don't want to bring us back to Nazis, but they did that for Schindler's List. Okay, the only colour you, the, I'm pretty sure, the only colour you see in that is the red of a little girl who's wearing a red coat, right? Yeah, I think that I think it's a long time since I've watched that film. Um, but that I, just, I've seen that. Yeah, wow! You've seen a movie from 1993. I've seen <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> come on, guys, take a shot. So I've seen a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Need Robbie a drink. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, a lot of potential. Didn't live up to it, but still value to be found in certain aspects of it. If nothing else, it will be entertaining crap. Yeah, it's not the worst thing we've watched, I don't think. No, definitely not. Definitely not. And I got to say, we woo sweet boob. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then, next week, Dan, I, it's my yes. turn to uh, make the selection, isn't it? I'm left with, after a conversation back and forth between us earlier, I'm left with two doctors only. <laughs> that was hard work, mate. I'm sorry about that. But yeah, right. we'll, we'll, right. we'll, we'll, we'll explain that in future. Yes, basically with the combination of guests coming on and what they have selected, I'm left with just two doctors to choose from. Uh, one is Matt Smith and the other is who I'm going with for next week's mm. episode of New Who. I thought we'd take a little look at an episode from the Jodie Whittaker era of the programme uh, and one that I remember watching live. Well, not live, live, but I remember watching when it was on television. Haven't seen since, but it's obviously being Jodie Whittaker, it's not that old. Uh, I would like to go back and have a little look at the episode Kablam, which aired in November of 2018. I remember that okay. Lee Mack was in it, and I remember it being about a retail department or retail warehouse kind of aspect to it. And that's kind of all I really can remember. So I thought. I was really struggling to pick who to go with first, Matt Smith or Jodie Whittaker. And then I was really struggling to pick which episodes to go with. So I've just plumped for, I, I literally just bought up a list, plumped for the first one I saw and went for Kablam. So that's what we're going to look at. Okay. I don't remember a single thing about this episode, to be honest. Oh, good. I am drawing a complete blank. Good. That's excellent. That's what we want. Not really. I'm supposed to be the new Who expert. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this one's yeah, this one's completely bypassing me. Um, I, I remember Lee Mack being in it. Mm-hmm. And I've human just the... workers are disappearing, and the robot workforce is acting. Oh, in okay. So yeah, so right, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but yes, I'm, I'm a bit more familiar with it now. Or at least remember roughly what the idea was. Okay. Okay. Yeah, well, yeah, so. that, that'll be yeah, it'll be a chance to revisit. Because I've said before that I think a lot of Jodie Whittaker's episodes will be looked back on more favourably um, than when they first aired. Because you know, like I said, I wasn't fond of quite a few bits of Capaldi's tenure um, until mm. years later when I went back and realised actually they were pretty good. So fingers crossed, I can do the same with uh, with Jodie. Yes. There we go. Okay, then. So that's what we will be looking at next week, everybody. If you are watching along, fire up your BBC iPlayers, your DVDs, however you're watching New Who with us, and check out the 2018 episode Kablam with Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Dan, 
So then, do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all your content and links to all that great stuff? No, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. Uh, you can hear me on Unbooking the Territory, uh, where myself and UTT Rob look at the first and last of professional wrestling. Uh, you can find us on uh, on Twitter again at UTT Podcast. And we have a side pro- project, which is a niche within a niche within a niche, called Unbooking the Tankatory, where we look uh, we go sort of match by match and segment by segment through the uh, the lives and times, the trials and tribulations of the WCW career of Tank Abbott. It's, uh, like I say, it's a, I don't quite know how it came to fruition, but I'm really glad it did. Those episodes are kind of taking on a life of their own now. Um, and they've always been fun, but we, we've sort of, we've hit a, a mad stride of it where I've been able to watch all the sort of um, episode, you know, Nitro or Thunder around it and, I'm just watching far too much WCW 2000 really is the, uh, the gist of it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic stuff, mate. Fantastic stuff. Yes. And you can find me at SJP words on Twitter or on Facebook. There's a group there, SJP, all the shows and info. And Dan is uh, mentioning WCW from the year 2000. We've got a little while before we hit that, but if WCW or pro wrestling is your thing, then you can follow along with WCW show by show with a pro, uh, a podcast I do called Nitro Nights with our good friend, Scottish Danny available online everywhere there. Uh, there's a bit more wrestling as well with chain wrestling available live on a Monday night via the radio techers, YouTube and Twitch channels and a podcast comes out later in the week and if science fiction time travel and so on is a little bit more your bag i'll do something else that follows a little bit more along those lines if the waiting room that i record with our good friend mr benny mack uh, that comes out every friday looking at quantum leap one episode at a time but as i said at sjp words for me on twitter I struggled this week, mate. I kept getting names wrong. I kept getting... <laughs> As people are going to hear in the outtakes that we always put on the end of the episode, when the music finishes, you're going to hear me sound like a jackass, which, you, which to be fair, if you hang around at the end of most episodes, that is kind of what you get. <laughs> and laugh at one of the most simple jokes I've ever made. Yes. Mm. <laughs> I've had oh. a lot of fun though, pal. It's been good. Um, at this point, the thing is, with this episode... It was it was inevitable names would be got wrong because they didn't actually tell you any until halfway through the damn thing. So I got your name wrong, which is embarrassing. But quite frankly, <laughs> I, I've, I've worked I've worked so long I've worked so long in, in service jobs that I I'm immune to people getting my name wrong now. It's Fair fine. The, the funny part is though, you actually you actually had two shots out of the five po- out of the five of the, is it five podcasts you do. You had yeah. like two shots at getting a Dan or a Danny. Yeah. Um, and I still got it wrong and named somebody that I don't even record with, which is fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, Billy, it's been great talking to you. <laughs> no problem at all, Stephanie. I will. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, no, great stuff, mate. Looking forward to some more Jodie Whittaker next week. It's going to be good stuff. And then we're going to be heading back and forth between Classic Who, New Who, and then whatever our guests want to look at as well. I'm having a fucking great time doing this show with you, Dan. Oh, so am I. I just, I just enjoy seeing how much work I can give you by breaking you each week. <laughs> yeah, and cutting out the laughing fits. Yes, there we go. But again, yes, that's all part and parcel of the fun, I suppose, until i got to sit down and fix it. In which case, I get a message at about 1am saying, you're a bastard. 
Exactly. That, 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 that has happened. That has happened. <laughs> I did not mention when I ran for all the socials, of course, you can find this show, most importantly, on Facebook and Twitter at the Doctor Who Pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who Pod. And it's at Dan Griffin 21 for Dan and at SJP Words for me. Chuck us all a follow. Interact with us. Let us know what you're enjoying, what you want us to do more of, less of, etc, etc. Even if you just want to talk Doctor Who, just crack on, message us and let us know what you think. Dan, I will speak to you next week, my friend. See you soon, buddy. It's been a pleasure. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. Number two. That is evil because this person is like her loyal number two. This 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 individual is one hundred percent bought in, hook line and sinker to what Helena is doing. <laughs> you know, and, and she's what <laughs> number two, number two. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake! Oh, I'm gonna have to cut so much out of this week. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, right. This person is basically her second in command, right? <laughs> not her number two. <laughs> uh, okay, no, do it again. Okay. No, leave that in. <laughs> it's going to go on the end of the show, I expect, isn't it? <laughs> this oh, person. I, say, I, say, I, well, I, say, well, I wish, I wish it had been Priscilla P because then she'd have been Priscilla Pooh, number two. <laughs> yeah. Oh, rhyming's fun. Um, <laughs> Especially when it's with stuff from your bum. (laughs) (laughs) The happiness poo troll. (laughs) (laughs) Just as you're leaving the privy, like the door swings open, there's somebody there going, are you happy? (laughs) I'm certainly certainly a lot more comfortable than when I went in. I'm glad you're comfortable. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I got rid of that, to be honest. Oh, my I a, goodness. I had a crap on deck that could choke a donkey. <laughs> For goodness sake. <laughs> oh, I'll try that again, anyway. shall I? <laughs> yeah, I'm done. Yeah. This person is basically her... her oh, I was going to say number two again, but it won't work. It's almost like Right, I'll try it again. Stop it, stop it. This person is basically her second in command. Oh, Starburst Stalin. Starburst Stalin. <laughs> oh, my God. Peppermint oh. Pol Pot. <laughs> <laughs> oh. to- Toffee Trump. Marshmallow Mussolini. <laughs> Hagen Das Hitler. Oh, God. (laughs) 
Oh, I don't even know if that's going to stay in, is it? Oh, probably fucking not, mate. <laughs> this is going to be about 20 minutes on the episode and the rest just outtakes at the end. It looks that way at the moment. We can't just keep naming fascist leaders and putting sweets alongside their names. We have to actually talk about Doctor Who for a bit, okay? <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this could be a weird one with the hair fever and the sneezing because my mind just gets my sinuses and my eyes a little bit, but I can feel it in my ears. Yeah, and me. Does that make sense? Oh my god, that, no, it does. Because I say that to other people and they're like, "What are you on about? That's amazing." Not that it's amazing, you get it, but it's amazing. I got someone else <laughs> I can talk to about it. So right with the with the spicy with the eating spicy food, then if you eat something too spicy, can you mm-hmm. then feel it in your ears as well? No, it's like the spice invades your sinus because there's the spice like invades your sinuses. Yeah, yeah. clears everything out. It's similar, similar thing. I can feel the pollen everywhere, and it makes me just want to jam my finger in my ear and go. I might just try and scramble my brains like I'm trying to mummify myself or something, but through the wrong hole. I get, I get that with like hay fever and stuff, (laughs) not the wrong hole. That's 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 another band name for the list: wrong hole mummification. I get it with like hay fever and allergies and stuff, but not through like spicy. Yeah, if I eat something really spicy, I can feel it in my lungs. So what you're telling me is you basically get curry ear. (laughs) (laughs) It's what you're saying. (laughs) Like curry ear or like, you know. (laughs) Spice look. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. No, I don't get that. I do get it sometimes when I sneeze that it feels like, um, like you know, when you sneeze loads and loads and loads and your allergies are really bad and then you yeah. blow your nose, air yeah. comes out my eye. Yeah, yeah I've seen that shit before because I remember watching, it was like, I think it was like Ripley's, it was either Ripley's Believe It or Not or the old Guinness World Records show. Right. Guinness Book of Records. There was a guy who could like snort milk up his nose and squirt it out of his tear duct. Yeah. So my brother tried to do the same thing, but he tried it with coke, which was a bad idea. Yeah, that's not that's not the same thing. <laughs> in, in in our defence, we were very young. Like, I think it was like oh, eleven. I, I think like eleven and eight. <laughs> I wonder if I could do that. I wonder if I could make milk come out my eyes because gen- genuinely, the the one eye, it's really easy for me to make the the air sort of hiss out of it. I guess. I don't know, but I want to see you try. Yeah, I want. I want. I'll go. Maybe that's the first episode of Train Wrestling. Sai Sai in his milky eye. <laughs> milky eye, milky jap. Sorry. <laughs> well, that, I know. I know what. I know what's not going in the episode this week. <laughs> that's a whole different situation. And the worst, the worst thing is, worst thing is as well. I don't know. Brain farted on about seven different uh, cum shot jokes when you were talking about milk in your eye. So oh, I was, okay. I was right there with you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's good. No, never mind. I won't, I won't tell that story. <laughs> no, I will. Fuck it. I was sixteen, right? <laughs> and my girlfriend, my my, my I suppose one of my first real long term girlfriends, ended up with a little bit of a, shall we say, excess spray in her right in the eye. <laughs> and it got to the point where we were genuinely thinking she may have to go to the hospital because she was in so much pain. <laughs> How do you explain oh. that one to her mum and dad who were downstairs? <laughs> it's a very specific allergy. <laughs> yeah. 
Fuck energy. <laughs> oh man, good on you, meaning to the term cockeyed. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we always do this? Because now I'm not going to be able to get the intro out properly. Fair point, mate. Sorry, sorry, Milky Eye. <laughs> That's a t-shirt. It's not. It's not at all. <laughs> BBC iPlayers, your DVDs, however you're watching New Who with us, and check out the 2018 episode, Kablam, with Jodie Whittaker as the Doctor. Matt... No, I don't even. I don't even record with anyone called Matt. Why have I called you Matt? <laughs> I don't, if I, I don't know, I don't know. But I'm going to start calling you Carpet because you're obviously too thick to be a Matt. <laughs> if I'd have said Mags, or if I'd have said Benny, or if I'd have said Danny, one of my other co-hosts, that would make perfect sense. Why have I called you Matt? That makes zero fucking sense whatsoever. Because we were in a group chat with Mister Willis earlier. Maybe, maybe. Oh, this you is actually you actually look really annoyed at yourself. I, I'm very cross. <laughs> I'm very cross with myself. I'm I'm very annoyed. <laughs> this is a weird situation because surely I, surely I should be the offended party here, um, potentially because you got my name wrong. But I couldn't give a shit because it's funny, and also okay. I've been, also I've answered to a lot worse. <laughs> Fair enough, mate. <laughs> I will try that again, shall I? Hang on a second. Go on, Dan. So then. Do you want to let everybody know whereabouts they can find you online and all your content and links to all that great stuff? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Matt Attack UK. Oh, um, you knobhead. <laughs> <laughs> no, you've got to keep it in. Oh, you jackass. 